1: And that means the immigration bill is DOA in the House. So, did they get it right? Is it a real solution that they're looking for or just an election cudgel? Will the Biden admin pull an end round of the Constitution like they did last time and the time before that? Also, did the DC appellate court get the Trump immunity ruling right? Plus, we continue our look at the Federalist Papers with Federalist Number Three. I'm Andrew Coppins. This is Truth or Fiction Tuesday, right here on Critical Thinking. Welcome to Critical Thinking. I am Andrew Coppins. I'm your host. You can follow me on social media at The Coppins Show, X, Facebook, all of that wonderful goodness. Um, Do not forget, though, the easiest way that you can help us grow the show simply by subscribing to our Rumble channel, rumble.com backslash critical thinking, rumble.com backslash critical thinking. Of course, you can always download. You can always subscribe, follow, rate and review the podcast on your favorite podcasting platform. And judging by the numbers, most of you love Apple Podcasts. So make sure you're following us there, that you are Um, downloading it, and then leave us a rating in a review. Doing just that simple thing. We're not asking you and I'm not asking you to spend any money, do anything like that. No, not at all. So with all of that being said, we have a ton to get into in today's program. That's right. We're talking Trump. We're talking Biden. We're talking the border. We have a lot to get into. So it is Truth or Fiction Tuesday. Hopefully you know the drill by now. But if you don't, Every single Monday, I will put the so-called bat signal out for you to give me your truth or fiction statements, and then I decide whether I believe that statement to be truth or fiction. And if you aren't going to participate, I'm pulling from social media. So with that being said, today's first truth or fiction comes from social media, and it is. Apparently, Republicans don't believe there is a current uh, there is currently an emergency at the border. They do not want a solution to the problem. They want a campaign talking point. Truth or fiction on that one? For me, folks, this is fiction, 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 and more fiction. The first part of this that is fiction is that they don't believe there is a crisis at the southern border. What actions of the people on Capitol Hill, in state houses across this country, in the courts suggests that they don't believe there's a real emergency at the southern border. That's absolutely fiction. And then secondly, that they're not interested in a real solution and only want this as an election cudgel. Now, the cynic in me says, well, you're right that they don't want a real solution because this has been going on forever. And both the Democrat and Republican parties are guilty of helping to exacerbate the problem, kind of, sort of, though. So I'm going to start with the second part of this, right? This idea that this is just an election cudgel, if you will. If Team GOP wanted this for pure campaign rhetoric to be able to beat the Democrats over the head with it, then what has been taking place over the last couple of weeks is the dumbest thing I have ever seen. It is the worst strategy I have ever seen. Why? Because Mitch McConnell decided to send James Lankford of Oklahoma, you know, one of the reddest of the red states. In fact, uh, I don't think Biden won a single county in the state of Oklahoma, including Oklahoma City and Tulsa. He didn't win a single county in that state. He sent Mitch McConnell, the leader of the minority in the Senate, sent James Langford to negotiate with independent but maybe more Democrat-leaning Kirsten Cinema on a border deal that also included lots and lots of money for wars overseas, too? Well, why would you do that and then also know that reading the tea leaves of your counterparts on the other side that need to also pass legislation like this have no interest in even taking the legislation up. Why would you put yourself in a situation if the goal is to be able to use the crisis at the border as the cudgel? Now, do I think it would be smart to be able to have it as a tool in the election? You bet your ass I do. You bet your bottom freaking dollar I do. It would be very smart politically. But you need to hang it on the hat of your political opponents. And what just got taken off the table? Your ability to use it as a cudgel. Why? Because your opponents can now say, hang on, hold up, wait a minute. No. Um, y'all tried to broker a deal and then backed out of it. Y'all didn't want an actual deal, we tried to negotiate one with you, and you said no dice. Now, that is not to say that the deal should have been taken in any way, shape, or form, because that legislation, the bill, that is in front of the Senate, is one of, if not the worst things I have ever seen. I mean, we're talking about Things like Ukraine getting more money in this bill alone than the Marines get in a single year under our current budget. $60 billion in aid. $53 billion budget. Now, that's not to suggest we increase the Marine budget. The suggestion is, what the hell are we doing funding wars for other countries that is more than our own self-defense? One branch of the five. Let's say... All of them are about equal, which is probably untrue. But let's say they're all equal. We have likely spent in Ukraine what we spend in a year on our entire defense. Think about that. What we have given to Ukraine is equal to what we spend one year, in one year, of our own national defense. So, by doing all of that and negotiating this and then saying, oh, I'm going to read the tea leaves, Mitch, you threw James Langford. Under the bus, for what? Tell me what the winning strategy, strategery was there, Mitch, other than your own power. Well, see, I tried. I even put one of your ilk in there and well, you just didn't want it. So now I'm going to beat you, the base over the head with this because now we don't get this. This is how dumb Team GOP is. They can't even think one step, let alone Two steps ahead in this process. The first step is let's engage with both sides of the House and the Senate to understand what would be palpable to potentially create a deal. Or if there is no deal to be had, then don't do it. Don't talk about it. Don't bring it up. Simply say, these are our non negotiables. These are the three things that are non negotiable. And unless you're willing to meet those, we are not interested in any sort of deal, period, point blank. And those non-negotiables include shutting the border down, getting an absolute handle on what's going on, number one. Number two, um, really dealing with the asylum process. And we're going to demand that they remain in Mexico until adjudication happens, and good luck with that. And then whatever else you want to put in there. But these are the non-negotiables, right? Right. Did you see Mitch McConnell come out and say that? No. Mike Johnson has basically said that. He's told him flat out, we ain't doing this deal. This is DOA. So don't even bring it up. But that was an absolute political miscalculation because now your opponents get to use it instead of you. Now, for the whole, well, they don't believe this is a crisis on the southern border. Yes, they absolutely do. There are 25 governors who literally said this is an invasion of America. And I laid out exactly how pernicious this invasion is to the point where the Heritage Foundation, in its work on this situation, shows cell phone tracking data that puts migrants, or as I call them, illegal asylum seekers, because that's exactly what they are. Okay? They don't follow the process to get here legally to seek asylum. There are many, many ways in which you can do this legally. One of them is to show up to a port of entry, a legal port of entry, and claim your asylum, wait for the asylum claim to be adjudicated. Now, the only way that this doesn't work is if you illegally cross the border and then, hands up, I'm claiming asylum. No, you've already not gone through the process correctly. If you were really interested in that, you could have easily done so. All right, with that being said, and the knowledge that of the 435 congressional districts, at least 434 of them have experienced people from one of the 20 NGOs that Heritage Foundation um, track data from, are in your congressional district? Yeah, it affects all of you, okay? So whatever with the whole, well, this doesn't affect me idea. No, they absolutely believe, the GOP believes this is a crisis on the southern border. Additionally, if they didn't get it, why would the so-called immigration deal which is really just more funding of war, and then a side note, like a little, little dish of coleslaw for you with your uh, beans and brisket. Yeah, um, the immigration side, right? Why then would it have been D O A? This is why the bill is D O A in the House because the. GOP in the House is taking this very seriously. Now, I'm going to throw a a little chart your direction, courtesy of Phil Kirpin. Uh, Just a simple graph here. This is the United States Border Patrol. Number of Southwest border apprehensions released into the U.S. This is 2020 to 2023. The number... 359 in 2020, according to the Customs and Border Patrol website. This is government information. A year later, in 2021, that number is 334,000 plus, going down to 272 plus in 2022. And then this year, 1 million in 2023. So when they apprehend these people on the border, again, the illegal asylum-seeking process, right? They apprehend them on the southern border and they say, I'm claiming asylum, war-torn country, blah, 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 whatever it is, right? They all have the exact same verbiage, by the way. They just get released to the NGOs mostly and then those NGOs spread them to 434 or 435 congressional districts. Wrap your freaking brain around that. Like I said, that means Hawaii and Alaska are seeing them. Wrap your brain around that. How the hell does that happen? Anyway, I I just I bring this up because what's the common denominator in 2020? It was still Donald Trump, his Remain in Mexico policy, and some of the other things that he did vis-a-vis executive order, which I, I have always had a problem with. We shouldn't be doing vis-a-vis executive order. What we could be doing vis-a-vis, wait for this, Congress and law, in enforcement of said law. And then the very simple question being, if we can't enforce the law, maybe the law is bad, or we need to look at other mechanisms of enforcement. Just saying, I'm not saying. Now, that being said, the other number that we need to know with that 1 million is that of that 1 million, 90% of those people who are not in custody to get to the point of adjudication of their asylum status or immigration status or whatever you want to call it, depending on the individual, 90% of them don't ever show up. So we have released over a million people in 2023 into the interior of this country to simply disappear. Poof, gone. My city deals with it. I literally see it every single day out my window. I can walk a football field away and feel it in front of me. I see it every single day with a so-called migrant center. But you mean to tell me that the GOP isn't taking this seriously considering the fact that, well, they have some power. They don't have enough. Biden is certainly not going to sign a deal that increases actual enforcement. Oh, and then, by the way, um, we also are going to allow the DC Circuit Court, you know, the, the super unbiased, not Democrat leaning at all DC Circuit Court to be the only place to adjudicate and hear any changes to the potential immigration status or law in the future. But I digress. You guys can go look up that information for yourself exactly how bad that immigration slash foreign war mongering bill is and was because it is DOA, it ain't going to happen. I, I just It amazes me how dumb the GOP is. For real, so dumb. F- dumb for so real. Just mind-blowingly stupid. You don't put this bill or put James Langford in the situation you put him in if you don't know the result. Period, point blank. If you are unsure... That a deal could be struck, even on your side, because by the way, there's at least 40 of the 49 people in the GOP that are saying, oh, hell no. If you knew you didn't have the votes, what were you doing other than attempting to browbeat the base and say, we tried and you guys just wouldn't let us? Yeah, you're right. We wouldn't let you because this was some horse bleep and you know it. All right. Let's go ahead and move forward to a second truth or fiction, and that is that Joe Biden is about to end round the Constitution, as Bobby Burak Burak of um, Outkick, outkick outkick.com put it. Big tech interfered in the 2020 election on behalf of government agencies to assist Joe Biden. They will do so again. Nothing is stopping them. He has a column, censorship industrial complex looms over 2024 as Trump's momentum mounts. Do I find it to be true that the Biden admin is basically going to try to pull an end around of the Constitution to win in 2024? Yes, I do. I find this to be truth. Because they've already shown that's exactly what they're going to do. We watched the FBI sit on the sidelines now, I will say this and preface this by maybe they tried to learn a lesson and err on the side of caution the other direction based on what they did in 2016 by affirming that the um, story around Hillary Clinton and her server and all of that stuff to be true, that, that affirmation probably had a pretty big influence on where that 2016 election went and did they want to step in it to the political arena again in 2020? I don't think they did. But the Hunter Biden laptop story, they already knew this to be true. They already had possession of it, knew it to be authentic. And they refused to authenticate it. Instead, They wiped their hands of it, allowed the media to run with a narrative of this being some sort of falsehood, ironically not running with the same narrative about the Steele dossier that was absolutely fake in 2016, 2017, impeachment, yada, 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 so forth and so on. The reality is that the Biden administration has already shown that they are willing and capable and have already done anything to win an election. They did it in 2020. They did it in the midterms in 2022. That's very clear. They will use anything by any means to win an election. Now, that doesn't mean that the GOP is not guilty of dirty tricks or, or whatever else. They're just not doing it at this level. And you might say, well, isn't that just spilt milk? Well, I don't care that either side is doing this. What I care about is the reality that We have one branch of our government wholly implicated in multiple attempts to censor data, to censor information, to censor now books, which you can and can't even read in this country or magically get access to to read in this country in the name of winning some sort of political game. Earlier this week, did we or did we not find out what Andy Slavitt was doing when it comes to Amazon and that entire story? We already know, vis-a-vis Jim Jordan, Bobby Burricks' uh, work, and others, that Andy Slavitt was engaged in the attempt to induce private businesses, to do that which is unconstitutional. Period, actually. Whether it's unconstitutional for the government, it's also unconstitutional for businesses to do this. By the by. At least in the way that this was done. Now, did Amazon play ball? Not really. I mean, they got browbeat into doing something temporarily, I would suggest, but Andy Slavitt literally was going to the muckety mucks at Amazon and demanding that they pull books from searchability or not even searchability, but from even being purchased on that platform. That's right. You were not going to be allowed by behest of the federal government, which would be illegal if they just did it, right? So what did they do? Again, went to Amazon and wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Amazon didn't totally play bald here, though, because you still could really find some of these things. But, I mean, they were literally just going and searching vaccine on Amazon books and then giving them a list of, hey, why is this coming up in search and why can people purchase this book? And we don't like this and we don't like that, but we like this and we like that. That's the basic gist of what was going on. But it's one of the most pernicious end round of constitutionality I have ever seen. It is wholly unconstitutional for government to demand censorship of information, whether it is true, untrue, fact, fiction, or anything in between. Unless that information deals with absolutely 100% slanderous, defamatory information. You can't do that. Now, here's the ironic part of that. The person liable for that is not the government, The person, unless the government's actually doing that. The person that would be liable is the individual doing it in a book, doing it in an audio book, doing it wherever on Amazon's platform. Now Amazon tried to acquiesce a little bit, but for their lack of effort, if you will, what happens in 2023? Oh, magically, the FTC, the Federal Trade Commission, slaps them with a a lawsuit alleging monopolistic activity. So the message is play ball, help us end round the Constitution because we want you to censor information that goes one way politically by the way don't don't censor the steel dossier don't no 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 we can't prove that that's real so let's not disseminate that information Shh. no 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 we'll engage in helping you to disseminate that one the other one hide it oh by the way how dare you think about vaccines and and get information for yourself instead of what the government is going to force feed you but this isn't the only example of this. We've seen them attempt to use third parties to do their bidding in all sorts of ways. Like for instance, the federal government attempting to end-round the constitution and using third parties to get cell phone data, to use third parties to get banking information or just go, just the banks just volunteering it. In direct violation, if this were the federal government doing it by themselves, would be a direct violation of many articles, many parts of the Bill of Rights in the Constitution of the United States of America. Yet here we are. I don't know what to tell you other than, folks, wake up. Which is going to dovetail us into the next story here. Because if you think for one second that they're not going to end round the Constitution or end round judicial um, documents here as we go to 2024, you're sadly mistaken. And it has to do with Donald Trump. But before we get into that, folks, let's do this please visit our fine friends over at coffeebrandcoffee.com where they care about their product, your consumption of it, and you liking it. And that's it. So if you go to coffeebrandcoffee.com, you can get your favorite coffee uh, blends, you can get your tea, you can get your hot chocolate, you can get all sorts of wonderful goodness over at coffeebrandcoffee.com. So do business with those who won't insult you. And if you go there, Go to the checkout. Enter your promo code critical thinking. Excuse me, critical thinker. Critical thinker. The promo code for ten percent off of your purchase today. Go to coffeebrandcoffee.com. Enter the promo code critical thinker. That's coffeebrandcoffee.com, where they care about coffee. That just that simple. So when I'm talking about end round the Constitution, it brings up the concept here of. What the D.C. appeals court did, did it get the Trump presidential immunity appeal correct? It ruled against the appeal of Donald Trump saying that, no, he doesn't have a right to immunity for everything and anything under the sun that he may or may not have done while as president of the United.
0: In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve
1: today. It States. That's the gist of the ruling. That is the gist of the argument. The argument being made is, yeah, I'm immune. I don't. You can't do anything to me as a private citizen for what I did as the president of the United States of America. Now, I've already said on this program, bullshit to that, because that's malarkey. That concept is so dictatorial and dangerous that it should never see the light of day. That being said, are you... Buying this about the Trump appeal. Truth or fiction, the D.C. appeals court both got it right and is willing to play along with the Dems' political kneecapping of Trump. I think that is absolutely truth. Here's the reality, folks. Trump has, I see, no way, no legal actual argument that you are immune forever for anything that you do As president of the United States of America. Now, (coughs) are there certain immunities that should be given to the president for decisions that are made? Absolutely. I a 1,000% believe that. But for everything? No. No. Absolutely not. It is a different argument to be made, though, by the way. If you are suggesting that Donald Trump should be granted immunity for January 6th by itself. But that can be adjudicated itself in a court of law, right? It can be adjudicated in so much as, oh, wait, D.C. That's right. The D.C. Circuit Court, the appeals court, the jury that would be hearing this criminal situation. Ah, they're all engaged in kneecapping Donald Trump. Okay. So here's the reality as we lay it out. Trump has one option left on the immunity side, and that is to appeal to the Supreme Court of the United States. Will they jump it into the docket? Or are they going to slow play it? Or are they going to deny it? But let me just say this. Anybody that thinks that SCOTUS is the savior of Donald Trump is insane mainly because, again, legally, he doesn't have and shouldn't have a leg to stand on when it comes to the immunity argument. The idea that a president, again, is or should be immune for crimes that were committed while in office is nuts. That, that doesn't mean that you prosecute them in office. There is a political way to do that, to deal with the crimes as they occurred. That's the attempted argument to be made here, is that, right, that's what Trump is trying to say, is that this is basically double jeopardy. They attempted and did impeach me. Now, they didn't remove me from office, but they impeached me for January 6th. Now I'm going to criminally face this? That's a different argument to be made than the immunity argument. Do you see that? Now, here's the other part of this. Let's say that SCOTUS takes this up, right? Let's game plan this out, game theory this out a little bit. They take it up. If they don't slow play the appeal, or if they outright reject it, what do you think is going to happen here? Yeah, Trump technically is removed from the docket on March 4th, right? Technically, he has been removed from the court um, calendar, if you will. You don't think for one second within 24 hours that that D.C. court of the D.C. court, the circuit court, isn't just going to poof, it's back on, brah. And here's why. I have a very simple question. Are you going to try him as he's the president-elect? Do you even have the capability to do that? Furthermore, if he becomes the president and is sworn into office in 2025, what the hell option do you have? They've already impeached him one time, so legally does he get impeached again for the same thing? Where's the legal case and precedence for this? The mess that is created by allowing this to go into 2025 is insane, by the by. Absolutely insane. Now, if SCOTUS doesn't slow play this, or if they just outright reject it, again, they're just going to put it right back on the docket. Because this is the year, this is the year, this is the year. You can't do it in 2025. You've already lost the plot. You just can't. That's why Jack Smith was attempting to get it right to SCOTUS right away. Right? That's why we've seen all these other things going on. While we're also seeing, I think, the only plan that Donald Trump actually has is delay, 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 delay. Hope you somehow pull out the 2024 election and then poof, All of it disappears. Do I think that that's a relevant and good play? No. Because we've seen vis-a-vis the Twitter files, vis-a-vis Amazon files now, vis-a-vis all sorts of things that the Biden administration and the Democrats are willing to do to you, let alone Donald Trump. They're willing to say, I don't care about the Constitution. Folks, we have long said this, both Pat and I, when Pat was here on the program. The social compact is broken. They did that. They don't believe in the Constitution, in its ebbs, its flows, its rights to trial or speedy trial or not speedy trial. They don't believe that they need to worry about that because they know that it is political will, not law, that matters. It always has mattered more and will always matter more. In fact, it's a really good segue into the Federalist Papers that that we're going to talk about in a moment. All of this, again, leads me to just... Simply this, by hook, by crook, by any means necessary, they want to kneecap Donald Trump. Because if he wins in November of 2024, they can't touch him. All of it goes away. All of the civil stuff, all of the things that were happening while he was out of office... It goes away. And furthermore, you think for one damn second his own party who is likely to have both the House and Senate is going to impeach him? Oh, I would suggest if we've got proof of that, okay, but high crimes and misdemeanors, for what? Also, it would have had to have happened while he was in office, which some of the stuff that's being alleged, not the J6 stuff, but the presidential act stuff and other things happened while he was out of office. So again, constitutional crisis. I don't know enough of constitutional law or how all of these machinations are going to work. But I, what I do know is that, uh, Oh boy. Oh boy. Um, it's a mess. It would be a mess. And I don't trust SCOTUS to get it right. It leads me to ask this, what the hell is the plan? Again, I think the plan is just run out the clock. Do I think it's a good plan? No, I don't. I see no actionable plan that gets him out of this. Again, they don't care about his constitutional rights or your constitutional rights on any level. If they're willing to tell you you can't consume information, you can't read a book, you can't buy a book, you can't engage in commerce that they don't like, not that is, even if it's a total fiction, do you have the right to, to consume that? You do. That is not on the government to discern for you. They don't care about it at that level. They sure as hell don't care about the Constitution and how they're going to get Donald Trump. And if Donald Trump isn't hip to that game and you're not hip to that game, I can't help you. If, you, if you're sitting there saying, well, it's all coming off the docket, they can't possibly put... <coughs> you're dealing in reality for maybe everybody else. But folks, we're also dealing with the same people who we just got done telling you last month vis-a-vis great reporting from Stephen Baker over at The Blaze. They were willing to put officers on the stand knowingly falsifying where they were, what they saw, when they saw it, to put you in jail, to put the Oath Keepers in jail, to put Grandma in jail for 10, 15, 18, however many years. Literally hide the evidence until thankfully Mike Johnson finally put it out for us to consume. That shows an officer told a completely fabricated version vis-a-vis what the visual evidence is of an interaction with the Oath Keepers. And then... The person who backed up the changed story did what? Lied his ass off about where he was and what he saw. The physical evidence suggests you were a quarter of a mile away when all of this was going on. You weren't anywhere near nor had the capability of seeing it because you were underground in the Senate office or in the House uh, office building across the street, not even in the actual Capitol building. You couldn't have possibly seen what was going on in the rotunda of the Capitol. Yeah. All those people are still in jail. They were willing to do that to them for political gain. You don't think that by hook or crook, they're going to find the way to get Donald Trump one way or the other. You're nuts. If you want to play the game of, yeah, but the courts, I can't help you. They're not on your side. They're not on Trump's side. They never will be. Now, the solution I have to this is very simple. The D.C. Circuit Court doesn't need to exist. Disband it. Poof, you're gone. You can do that in Congress. The president can recommend that. Congress can then remove. And then all of those cases go back to Maryland and Virginia for jurisdiction. Very simple. Yeah, no, we're actually going to give the citizen or the the people an opportunity to have a jury of their real peers because nobody but nobody but a Democrat, oh, wait, they would never bring it against a Democrat because, oh, 90% of people voted Democratic. That's not a jury of your peers. For anybody that isn't just hard, dyed-in-the-wool Democrat. That's the solution, by the way. You want to play solutionary games here? There's your solution. Take their power away. Take their power base away. Say, no, we're not going to allow this. You're a completely biased, absolutely political hack court. So you're done. That's where we're going with all of this, right? All right. That being said, we've got to talk about Federalist number three now. Once again, this is written by John Jay, and this is a continuation on the deal of foreign influence and the wars for a more centralized national government. So I want to just begin with uh, reading the opener to this. The opener in Federalist Number 3, to the people of the state of New York. It is not a new observation that the people of any country, if, like the Americans, intelligent and well-informed, Seldom adopt, adopt and steadily uh, preserve for many years in, in an erroneous opinion respecting their interests. That consideration natu- naturally tends to create great respect for the high opinion which the people of America have so long and uniformly entertained of the importance of their continuing firmly united and under one federal government vested with sufficient powers for all general and national purposes." the more attentively I consider and investigate the reasons which appear to have given birth to this opinion, the more I become convinced that they are cognate and or cogent, excuse me, cogent and conclusive. Who doesn't love themselves a little flattery? But let's continue on here because, again, we're talking about making the case. This is really John Jay making the case for a centralized, strong, national, federalistic government. Uh, because foreigners. He continues, saying that among the many objects to which a wise and free people find it necessary to direct their attention, that of providing for their safety seems to be the first. The safety of the people doubtless has relation to a great variety of circumstances and considerations and consequently affords great latitude to those who wish to define it precisely and comprehensively. At present, I mean only to consider it, as it respects security for the preservation of peace and tranquility, as well as against dangers from foreign arms and influence, as from dangers of the like kind arising from domestic causes, as the former of these comes first in order. It is proper, it should be the first discussed." Let us therefore proceed to examine whether the people are not right in their opinion that a cordial union under an efficient national government affords them the best security that can be devised against hostilities from abroad. Now, that's exactly where John Jay goes with all of this, right? And as we're taking a look at reading the Federalist Papers, I'm going to put it on you to read all of it right i'm going to put it on you read federalist number 3 so tomorrow read federalist number 4 as we discuss it but jay is looking at the need for a more centralized government for the safety of the american people one big government united versus 13 smaller separate governments appears to be a good idea right the united government versus the bad idea of 13 smaller governments when it comes to defense, when it comes to commerce, when it comes to a bunch of different things. Now, let's also keep in mind what's going on at this time in 1787, right? There have already been internal, remember, he talks about internal uprisings. Well, there have been them. The Whiskey Rebellion, Shays Rebellion. That's within the United States and the Articles of Confederacy seemed wholly inadequate to deal with them and that was part and parcel of the problem. Now, we also know that what? England to the north in Canada. They're right on the border still, right after the Revolutionary War. Spain to the south in Florida. You don't think that North Carolina, South Carolina, Georgia have some feelings about their safety and security if they were to be just themselves against the power that is Spain? So let's take a look at this as we continue. The number of wars which have happened or will happen in the world will always be found to be in proportion to the number and weight of the causes, whether real or pretended, which provoke or invite them. If this remark be just, it becomes useful to inquire whether so many just causes of war are likely to be given by United America as by disunited America. Four, if it should turn out that United America will probably give the fewest, then it would follow that in this respect, the Union tends most to preserve the people in a state of peace with other nations. The just causes of war, for the most part, arise either from violation of treaties or from direct violence. America has already formed treaties with no less than six foreign nations, and all of them, except Prussia, are maritime and therefore able to annoy and injure us. She has also extensive commercial commerce with Portugal, Spain, and Britain, and with respect to the two latter, has in addition the circumstance of neighborhood to attend to. Spain and Britain, that's why I just pointed out to you. Let's go ahead and move forward, because I have a few others that are vitally important uh, to take a look at. Like this one. Because under the national government, treaties and articles of treaties, as well as the laws of nations, will always be expounded in one sense and executed in the same manner, whereas adjudications on the same points and questions in 13 states or in three or four confederacies will not always accord to be consistent, and that, as well, from the variety of independent courts and judges appointed by different and independent governments, as from the different local laws and interests which may affect and influence them. The wisdom of the convention in committing such questions to the jurisdiction and judgment of the courts appointed by and responsible only to one national government cannot, cannot be too much commended because the prospect of present loss or advantage may often tempt the governing party in one or two States to swerve from good faith and justice both those temptations not reaching the other states and consequently having little or no influence on the national government, the temptation will be fruitless and good faith and justice be preserved. The case of the Treaty of Peace with Britain adds great weight to this reasoning. Now, let's go ahead and skip to the end because I think this is going to be vitally important. Um, Towards the end, this is what Jay is writing. But not only fewer just causes of war will be given by the national government, but it will also be more in their power to accommodate and settle than amicably. They will be more temp- temperate and cool, and in that respect, as well as in others, will be more—excuse me—will be more in capacity to act advisedly than the offending state. The pride of states, as well as of men, naturally dispossess them to justify all their actions and opposes their acknowledging, correcting, or repairing their errors and offenses. The national government, in such cases, will not be affected by this pride, but will proceed with moderation and candor to consider and decide on the means most proper to excrete them from the difficulties which threaten them. Besides, it is well known that acknowledgments, explanations, and compensations are often accepted as satisfactory, from a strong United Nations, or United Nation, excuse me, Freudian slip there, which would be rejected as unsatisfactory if offered by a state or confederacy of little consideration or power. Finally, in the last paragraph, in the year 1685, the state of Genoa, having offended Louis Fourteenth, endeavored to appease him. He demanded that they should send their doge, or chief magistrate, accompanied by four of their six Senate of, of their senators to France to ask his pardon and receive his terms. they were obliged to submit it to it for the sake of peace. Would he on any occasion either have demanded or have received the like humiliation from Spain or Britain or any other powerful nation? So as we put a button on Federalist paper number three, what John Jay is arguing here is that a strong, A strong federal, national, unified government has treaty powers, has more power, has more persuasion than anything else when it comes to dealing with foreign wars, dealing with internal conflicts, dealing with treaties and everything else. And because we are already engaged in such, we should continue to engage as a unified nation. I think it's also interesting if you read some of this that it almost reads like the Democrats of today would believe that there has to be this very, 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 very strong centralized government because we have foreign entanglements. And it also reads that way. It almost reads as socialist at times, which is amazing to me. If you were looking at it through just your modern eyes. You might be tempted to think that this is through socialism, but know this. The very real case that's being made here is that there's a belief that the states having too much power would erode the ability for the nation to survive. And... Even if we chose a different path than the Constitution, the argument is that 13 separate would end it all and we'd still be subjects some way, somehow, of someone. So that's really the argument that's being made here. It it, it is not about socialism as a concept or a construct because that was somewhat around in the political theater at the time. It hadn't been fully fleshed out or or flushed out yet. But anyway, the point of the matter is this. We can't look at it through the lens of today. We have to understand the time in which it was written. I also think it fascinating that John Jay makes the assumption that people who will jump into politics. And this isn't something that we highlighted in this, but if you read through Fred Federalist Number 3, you would see this. The assumption that having a national government to obtain to would give you better prospects and better men, better people to that station in life. Hindsight being twenty twenty, 20 um, dude, no. Just just know that assumption was dead-ass wrong. And that assumption was dead-ass wrong because we have lacked a commitment to the Constitution. We have lacked a commitment to the same political story, if you will, the formula. We don't have the same formula anymore. Thus, we get the rot that we get in Washington, D.C. today. And we're going to ask a question as we go through the Federalist Papers, then the Anti-Federalist Papers, as to who was right. Did both sides have points and how could this government have gotten to where it is today? I think is a very key point. But right here is the actual strong national defense argument and the strong commerce argument that is being made. So tomorrow we'll be at Federalist number four. Until then, folks, please be smart, be safe, be kind, make sure you eat all of your meals. And as always, Matthew 547.